Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our Grovetown campus, South Campus. All you folks on vacation watching from wherever you are, we're glad that you guys are here for week two of our Footsteps of Jesus series. Let me ask you a question as we get started today. Today, What comes to your mind when you think of the word miracle, right? And I was thinking about this for myself. When's the last time I used the word miracle? And I usually use it just to describe something really unexpected, like, oh my goodness, one of the kids emptied the dishwasher without being asked. It's a miracle. Or I'm at Walmart and more than two checkout lanes are open. It's a miracle, right? So in fact, last time I was at Walmart with uh, my oldest son, the only line that was open was the self-checkout line, and it was way backed up. And I said, hey, buddy, how is flexing your muscles in front of a mirror the same as shopping at Walmart? He said, I don't know. I said, either way, you're checking yourself out. So, <laughs> yeah, he, that's one of my few dad jokes he's laughed at in a while. I was proud of that one. We're glad that you guys are here to talk about the miracles of Jesus, which is something much more than just something unexpected. When Jesus did a miracle, yeah, it was unexpected, but it was also supernatural. It it met a real need in a way that no one could have imagined or even fathomed. No one had ever seen anything like it. And his miracles point the way to so much. Because I think sometimes we look at a miracle of Jesus in the Bible and we might assume that a miracle is like him suspending the natural law for a minute and kind of breaking the natural law to do something supernatural. In a sense, that's what's happening. But I think in a greater sense, what's happening is he's showing us the way the world was meant to be all along and giving us a glimpse of the way the world will be again once he comes to establish his kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. Because when God first created the world, before sin entered the picture, the miraculous was ordinary. The miraculous was just how things were. But then sin happened. We broke the world through our own rebellion. Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. We talked about that last week. Lived a perfect life did miracles, taught the way, died a death in our place so that through him we could be saved, rose from the dead, conquered conquered death so that through him we could have new life as well. And the miracles he did while he was here was not only meeting a need in the moment, it was foreshadowing what we can expect in the world to come. Because he's going to come make a new heaven and a new earth where once again the miraculous will be ordinary. There'll be no more cancer or blindness or pain or death. He's going to solve all all of that once and for all. And every miracle in scripture is giving us a sneak preview of that. Every miracle he's still doing today is giving us a sneak preview of that. And yes, he is still doing miracles today. So to kind of bring you up to speed, we're in week two of the series Footsteps of Jesus. In this series, we're opening up the gospels, which are the stories of Jesus's life and teachings. And in addition to that, we're going live on location from Israel, where these events actually happened, because Ashley and I led a group there a few weeks ago. We had a wonderful experience. If you're interested in making a Holy Land trip, the church is putting one together right now. Uh, You can send an email to Israel at StevensCreekChurch.com, and they'll get you all the info if you're interested in going. It's a it's a great thing to do. I encourage you to do it. And while we were there, we I made these videos from where these places happened, so that you could kind of experience the scriptures 
in an immersive way. You know, you could see where this happened. Because sometimes we read the Bible, and it almost seems like these places aren't real. Like you're reading about Narnia or Middle Earth or something. But these are real places. These are real events. Archaeology is all the time pointing to the truth of Scripture and, and confirming the truth of Scripture. And so I wanted to take you to these places where they happen. And so today we're going to do that through the lens of Jesus' miracles. And the reason why we're doing this series, the one principle that kind of holds all these sermons together is this, if you're following along in the notes. It's that the more we understand the world where Jesus walked, the more we'll be able to understand his plans for our world today. The more we understand the culture he lived in, you know, what was happening in the time and places where he was, the lives of the people that he was helping, the more we can see his message clearly, his timeless message clearly for our world today, because his words are alive and they're timeless for us as well. So we're going to dive straight into scripture with the very first miracle Jesus ever did. And you can find this in John chapter two of your Bible. And I'm going to read this whole, this whole story to you. I love this story. I love this miracle. So John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said, and when everyone's had a lot to drink, then he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. You know, what a great scene. There's so much that we can pull from this first miracle and all of, all of what Jesus is showing and revealing by his power through this miracle. And we're going to dive into all that, but first... I want to take you on location to where this miracle actually happened. So let's go to Cana together for a few minutes. Hey friends, welcome to Cana. What an amazing spot. We're here on the site of where Jesus performed his very first miracle. Now on top of that site, this Franciscan church has been built. And this church is being visited by people from all over the world. Now this, of course, is where Jesus turned water into wine. And I love so much about this first miracle. Number one, it shows how Jesus blesses marriage. It's a, it's a beautiful story about him choosing to do his first miracle to bless a couple and bless the covenant of marriage. Number two, it foreshadows this great wedding feast that we're going to have one day. The, the book of Revelation tells the picture of the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we, the bride of Christ, the church, will be united to our bridegroom, Jesus, forever. And it's going to be a wedding celebration for all time. And Jesus was foreshadowing that. I also love it just shows Jesus' miraculous power to be able to change the very nature of something, to take water, turn it into wine, meeting a real need. Because part of this miracle was just meeting a need. This couple had run out of wine. The, the, the festivities had not ended yet. This would have been really embarrassing for them. And Jesus chose to step in and meet their need. And he cares about every detail of our lives. Uh, and there's just something so beautiful about his very first miracle showing us that, reminding us that. 
to Jesus Cares, and, and he used his first miracle to keep the wedding celebration going. This is a, a beautiful place. It's now a place of worship where people from all over the world will, will come, praise God, they'll remember what he did here, and we're getting ready to do a vow renewal ceremony for the couples who are with our group, and I think what better place to renew your wedding vows than the site of the wedding where Jesus did his very first miracle. Cana is definitely worth seeing. It's a beautiful spot and a beautiful reminder of all Jesus has done for us. I look forward to seeing you at our next stop. So Jesus kept the celebration going. In, 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 in the ancient days, the wedding reception wasn't just a one or two hour reception like we have. It was a celebration that went on for days and people would come from all over and it was a reunion of family and friends. And, and for that to be cut short, to end early, it would have it would have crushed the hearts of the bride and groom, and I love that Jesus met that need, stepped in and met that need the way that he did. There's a lot we can learn from this. Maybe you're in a season of life right now where you feel like there's no celebration, like celebration doesn't feel possible because of everything that you're facing, the struggles that you're facing. I think about a time that, that my dad had a good friend whose uh, son was tragically killed in a car accident, and my dad saw his friend about a year later and said, tell me how you're doing. And his friend's response was so unexpected. He said, food has lost all its flavor. And, and what he was really saying is, ever since this tragedy happened, it's like I, I can't enjoy the simple pleasures of life anymore. I, I can't taste food the way I once did. I mean, everything seems dim, everything seems muted, everything seems numb. And maybe you're in a season like that right now where everything just seems numb, like I'm never gonna be able to fully enjoy things again. And Jesus paints the picture, foreshadowing this great wedding banquet that's never gonna run out of the good stuff. It's gonna last forever. It's the first moment of celebration for all eternity when we, the bride, we, the bride of Christ, are united to our bridegroom, and you're gonna taste again. You're gonna celebrate again. It's gonna be the best food you've ever tasted, the, the, the best wine you've ever tasted. If wine's not your thing, I think your goblet's gonna taste like the sweetest sweet tea you've ever tasted, but it's gonna be amazing. And Jesus is saying, so don't lose hope. Don't get discouraged in those moments where things seem so down because a day is coming when those discouragements will no longer exist. And in the meantime, you can trust that Jesus is with you, he is for you, even in the midst of that struggle. A principle we can learn from this miracle is this one. Jesus' first miracle displayed his power over both time and matter, that he was able to change the very nature of things, that these ceremonial stone jars were used for something dirty, these things that would eventually hold this great priceless wine. It was used for hand washing. It was used for, for something nasty. And in a similar way, Jesus takes the broken vessels that we are before we come to faith in him, and he fills us up with something so priceless. He takes out all the dirty water. He fills us up with something so priceless. He uses us for something honorable instead of dishonorable. And the wine itself, he turned water to wine. I mean, that is a supernatural miracle that not only changed the nature of water, but it did something in an instant that takes a long period of time. If you've ever been to a, a vineyard or a winery, you know that that process is a long and tedious process. And Jesus did it in an instant. It's showing his power over time. In our world, we get so hung up on our own timeline. Like, I'm too old to do this. I'm too young to do this. Or I've run out of time to do this. Or these years have been stolen away from me because of this decision or this person's decision. And Jesus steps in and said, if you'll give me your life, if you'll give me the time that you have, I can do in an instant in your life and through your life 
what you couldn't do on your own in a lifetime. We, we can trust him with our life and with our eternity and with the timeline of our life. When we're comparing ourselves to what everybody else is doing at the same age, to step away from that and say, Lord, what is your unique plan for my life? Because his plan for you is so unique. It's so beautiful. You don't have to compare your life to anyone else's, but say, Lord, I want to, I want to live out the destiny you have for me. And if we'll trust our life into his hands, he will help you make the most of every single moment. So that's Jesus' first miracle. Let's dive into his second miracle, which might be his most famous miracle outside of the resurrection itself, because this miracle took place and was recorded in all four of the Gospels. I'm going to read the the Gospel of Luke's account of the feeding of the 5,000, beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so that they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? There were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to his disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I love, I love this miracle. So before we dive into the details of it, I want to take you to the place where this happened, near the town of Tagba, near the hillside where this miracle took place. Let's go there together. Hey friends, I am here near the hillside where Jesus did what was perhaps his most famous miracle outside of the resurrection itself, which was feeding of the 5,000. Though we say feeding of the 5,000, really the Bible says it was 5,000 men plus women and children, meaning, I mean, there could have been 10, 20,000 people there. This was an enormous amount of folks that had come out to hear Jesus preach and teach and do miracles, and they'd wandered out into the wilderness where they didn't have any restaurants, there was no Uber Eats around to bring him any food. And after a while, the disciples noticed, hey, these folks are hungry. Uh, There's nothing to give them. They're going to faint with hunger if we send them away to get food on their own. What are we going to do? And then Jesus asks a great question, which I believe he asks of all of us. He says, well, what do you have? Instead of focusing on the, the massive problem, Jesus wants us to look at what we already do have and are we willing to trust that into his hands? And one of the disciples said, well, we found a kid's lunch he's willing to share. And all he's got is five little loaves and two little fish. And so the the loaves probably were looking something like this. Forgive me, I didn't want to hold the fish in my hands. uh, So you're not getting the full effect with that part. But imagine just some little loaves, a couple fish on top of this, and a kid's lunchbox. And the disciples almost scoffing looking at this, like, how are we going to feed this army of people? I mean, imagine a stadium full of people, all hungry, and you want us to feed them with A little kid's lunch, I mean, obviously that's not going to work. But Jesus said, give me what you have. He took it, he blessed it, he multiplied it. And then he said, now go pass it out. And they started passing out fish and loaves. And there was enough from that one kid's lunch to feed everybody there and then have 12 big baskets full left over. They had leftovers after that feast. I love this miracle. It's the only miracle outside the resurrection that shows up in all four of the Gospels, showing that this one, this one, you need to lean in and learn some things from it. And there's a lot we can learn from it, more than I have time to share right now. 
But one of the big takeaways is if you trust Jesus with the little you do have, say, Lord, my life, my talents, my family, my abilities, all of it, it might not feel like enough to change the world any more than five loaves and two fish is enough to feed an army, but I'm going to trust it into your hands, Lord. And if you will bless it, if you will multiply it, I know you're going to be able to accomplish your will in and through my life. So give Jesus what you do have. Trust him to be your provision in those areas where you have a need and then watch him do miracles in your life. I, I, I love this miracle. And I said this in the video, but here's the principle if you want to write it down. When we trust Jesus with the little we have, he turns it into more than we need. He, he always does. He, he's the provider, the great provider. And foreshadowing, again, to the kingdom that is to come, the new heavens, new earth, or we'll live with him whatever, there'll never again be scarcity. There will never again be too little of anything. And in the meantime, in this world, when we do trust him with the little we have, he always does something great with it. I think for me, when I read this through modern lens, one of the miracles is that he got thousands of people to eat the same food, right? Can you imagine him trying to do that today? Probably like, I'm glu- is this gluten-free bread? Were these fish wild-caught or sustainably raised? You know, I'm not eating this. And so he had to do it 2,000 years ago when people were less picky, I imagine. So Jesus fed all these people, meeting a physical need, and also showing us how he wants to meet our spiritual needs. He, like as Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I want to meet your physical need, Jesus is saying, but even more than that, I want to meet the longing of your heart. I want to meet every desire that your soul has because your soul is meant to know and love God. And if we're not knowing and loving God with our whole heart and soul, then no amount of what the world can offer, no amount of bread could ever really fill us. That emptiness will always remain. But Jesus says, I want to do both. I want to be the living water that that restores your soul, the bread of life that fills your soul. And I also want to meet those physical needs too because he cares about your body, your mind, your heart, your soul. He cares about all of it. And that's why we can love him, as the Bible said, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. All right, the third miracle we're going to look at is in the healing of a blind person. And Jesus consistently healed blind people in Scripture. This was something that was important to him. This was a common miracle. There were several places, several times, where he would see someone who was physically blind, and he would heal them. I think part of the reason why was, one, he wanted to meet a very obvious need for somebody that couldn't see to give them their sight. But I think that the reason why the gospel focuses in so much on this is because he's also showing us something he wants to do in us, even if you have 20-20 vision, that all of us have some spiritual blindness, Before we come to faith in Christ, we're walking in the dark, essentially. He comes to be the light of the world. Once we put our faith in him, our eyes are open. But even after that, we still struggle with some blind spots. You know, Jesus pointed it out to his disciples in a a funny way. He said, look at all these people. They're so good at seeing a speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye when they could have a two by four sticking out of their own eye and not see it. And 2,000 years later, I think it's the same. Most of us, myself included, we can be so good. We can be experts at picking out the flaws in others and then being blind to anything in our own life that needs to change. Or on the flip side, I think sometimes we can get so down on ourselves. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up and not see anything good in ourselves. And we miss out on the good that God created us in his image. We're, We're beautifully and wonderfully made And we're wallowing in all this self-doubt and self-pity, and that's not good either. Jesus wants us to see clearly. He wants us to see ourselves and see the world around us through his eyes, because we all have blind spots. You know, 
my wife Ashley pointed this out kind of in, in a funny way. Last time we were at the, the beach, she said, I've noticed something about how men and women are different. And this isn't like all men and all women, but if you pay attention, this holds true a lot. She goes, a man, no matter what kind of shape he's in, no matter how big his belly might be, when he walks by a mirror, he is pleased by what he sees. Most of the time, he walks by like, oh yeah, <laughs> I still got it, yeah. <laughs> she said, but most women, I mean, you could be a supermodel that she walks by and she just sees her flaws. Like, oh my gosh, my pores, my, my nose is so big. Oh my gosh, my hair's terrible. My, I, I hate, I, I'm getting fat. It, she's like, why is that? And I'm like, sweetie, sometimes the wrong people have high self-esteem. I don't know. I don't know why that is. <laughs> but it's not just in the physical, these blind spots, because the physical, that's just one little tip of the iceberg. But the, the blind spots that really matter are when we're, we're living in a sin that we're not seeing. Or we're being rude or cold to others and we're not seeing it. Or we're pushing people away or not representing Christ in an authentic way and we're not seeing it. And Jesus wants to help open our eyes to all of that. And so keep that in mind of the blindness he might want to solve in each of us as we read this story about him healing a blind man from John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Salom means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. There's so much unexpected in this story, right? I mean, first off, you see this blind guy and and Jesus' disciples who still have these ancient superstitions about karma and different things that we still as a culture struggle with today. Something bad happened, so somebody must have done something bad. Like this, this dude was born blind. Whose fault is that, Jesus? Did he sin or did his parents do something and they're being punished? And Jesus said, that's not how this works at all. No, God is going to work through this in a unique way. It's nobody's being punished. And then Jesus brings healing in an unexpected way. He spits. Can you imagine this poor blind guy, like, you're going to help me? And then it's like, am am I hearing Jesus spit? And then is that mud, spit mud on my eyes? It's unexpected, right? So let's go to the spot where this happened, and maybe we can get a little bit more context. And this was one of my favorite spots because at the Pool of Siloam, it's an active archaeological dig. And I love how all the archaeology happening in the Holy Land continues to confirm and affirm all of the historical truth of what happened in the Bible. Let's watch this together. Hey, friends, I'm in a really exciting spot. I don't know if you can see this sign. It says Israel and Antiquities Authority. And what we are doing right now is unearthing with an archaeological dig the ancient pool of Siloam where Jesus performed the miracle of healing a blind man by putting mud on his eyes. Now, we're not even allowed to film here during an active dig, but the head archaeologist, a Muslim man named Ismael, who's been doing archaeological digs all over this, all over Jerusalem and beyond for many decades. I met him, wonderful man, gave us special permission to film this video for you so that you can see what's going on. They just unearthed an ancient piece of pottery while we were here. So there's a lot happening at this site. And within the next few years, now that all this has been discovered, they're gonna refill it with water to make it look like the time of Jesus' day when this miracle first took place. 
So this is really a treasure. The next time I come to Israel, I hope to come back to this spot, see it filled with water, all the finds that they found by digging archeologically. It really is something special. And the story of what Jesus did in this spot is something so special. Healing a man born blind by putting mud on his eyes. Jesus spit on the ground, making mud. And that sounds kind of gross. You're like, why would Jesus do that? But you see, mud, dirt, dirt represents kind of what we're made of as humans. They didn't know this at the time, but Jesus did. There's actually DNA in saliva, the very essence of God, what God is made of, mixing with what we're made of. God meeting man, which is what Jesus came to do. And sometimes that is a messy union, just like mud can be messy. But when we act in faith, miracles happen. He told this man to go wash in this pool, which Salome, which means scent. He had to exercise his faith with mud on his eyes. He had to humble himself, come and do what Jesus told him. And by doing it, his obedience led to the miracle. Like, there's so much we can learn from this story. And again, it's just such a privilege to be here watching uh, watching these guys bring history to life. And the more they find, the more it proves the stories of the Bible to be true. It's really exciting. We'll see you at the next stop. Yeah, that was a cool stop. So something we can take away from this miracle is this. Our weaknesses are the places where Jesus' strength can shine brightest in our lives. And, and I love that. The Apostle Paul, he wrote, and he had this thing he referred to as a thorn in his side, a thorn in his flesh, this, this area of weakness that he kept praying, God, take this away, take this away from me. Why am I struggling with this? And he said, God's response to me is always the same. He's saying, my power is made perfect in your weakness and trust in me. My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, so now I'm going to boast about my weakness, right? I'm going to boast about it because now I see that the weak places in my life are actually where the power of Christ can shine most brilliantly and point other people to him. And so if you've got something in your life, an area in your life, you're like, Lord, heal this, take this away. Why am I struggling with this? It's fine to keep praying that prayer. But in the meantime, I think it's good to also pray, Lord, teach me what you want me to learn through this struggle and do in me whatever you want me to do through this struggle. Because maybe God is allowing you to wrestle with that area that you think is a weakness because that's the very place that God's strength can shine most brilliantly in your life. And to illustrate that, I want to tell you one final story about a guy who's really been an inspiration to me. And his, his name is Nick Vujicic. And 40 years ago, Nick was born in Australia to a couple of Christian parents that thought they had done everything right. And so because of that, they thought their life was going to be smooth sailing. And I think this is a mistake that we as Christians can make. We kind of make these unspoken deals with God. Have you ever, think about it. Have you ever done this? Have you ever thought, all right, God, I'm, I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good Christian. And, and I know that because of that, you're going to bring me a perfect spouse in the perfect timing. And I'm not going to have to wait on this person. And they're going to love you as much as I, I do. And it's going to be right when I want that person to come. They're going to appear. That's the deal. And then you find yourself in a long season of waiting. And you're like, God, where are you? And then maybe you find that spouse. And you're like, okay, but God, both of us are doing things right. We're, we're, we're going to do things right. And because of that, because we're following you, you're going to bless us with, with children the moment we want children. But then all of a sudden you struggle with infertility and you think, God, where are you? You're not keeping your end of the bargain. Or maybe you have children and you think, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm going to pour my life into these kids. I'm going to raise them right. I'm going to teach them to love you. I'm going to sacrifice for them. But on the flip side, in the future, they're going to follow you with their whole heart they're going to they're gonna pursue you. They're going to marry someone who loves you. And then they're going to pursue a healthy relationship with me and be so thankful for all I did for them all of their lives. And then they grow up and it doesn't look like that. And you think, Lord, 
What happened? I did my part of the bargain because we're making these deals with God, but, but God's not in on the deal, right? And so we feel like he's letting us down when things don't happen the way we want them to. And that's what happened to Nick's parents because they did everything right, they thought, and then Nick was born in a way nobody would have expected because from all the ultrasounds and everything, it seemed like Nick was gonna just be a, a healthy baby boy. And so there was shock in the hospital room when Nick was delivered and Nick was born with no arms and with no legs. His parents didn't know how to respond to that. Their friends didn't know how to respond to that. I mean, it was like, do we celebrate or do we grieve? We, we don't know how to, how to make sense of this. God, why did you allow this to happen? Nick started growing up and, and life was very difficult for him because his mind was so sharp, but he knew that, that he was different and that everything in his life was gonna be so much harder because of his unique condition. And he got to a place in adolescence where he was so depressed, he wasn't even sure he wanted to go on, but he found the Lord and he felt like God was calling him to ministry. And God's saying, I'm, I'm calling you, Nick, I'm choosing you. I've made you exactly as you're meant to be. And you might not have hands and feet yourself, but you're going to be my hands and feet in this world. And so Nick decided that he was gonna live a full life and not let anything hold him back. And he started to do that. He got a great education. He learned to do things that, that a lot of able-bodied people can't do. He can swim. He can surf. There are like videos of YouTube of him surfing. Like, I cannot surf, all right, guys? I can't do it. He got married. He has four beautiful kids. He has a beautiful wife. But more than any of that, God has opened up doors for him because, specifically because of the unique condition that he would have considered a weakness, has allowed him to be on platforms that he never would have been on to tell the gospel and to point people to Jesus. And he's spoken to millions of people all over the world. I got to hear him back when we were living in Dallas. He came to our church. It's estimated that second only to Billy Graham, Nick Vujicic has spoken to more people in live audiences about Jesus than any Christian in history. And he's still a young guy. And to see people come to faith through his message, to see this guy mentoring prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens all over the world and to give them the hope that he's found in Christ. And he always comes back to this line. He says, if God can use a man with no arms and legs to be his hands and feet, imagine what he can do with your life. And so Nick's an inspiration to me. Here's, here's a picture of Nick. There's some great content of him online. He's, he's, you know, his books, his videos, I encourage you to watch it. He's truly an inspiration. And it's a reminder to me like those things in my life that feel like limitations, those things in my life that feel like weaknesses, maybe I'm just making them excuses when God wants to work through those very places where I feel weak to shine his love and his light in and through my life in a unique way. And he wants to do the same with you. Those places where you feel weak, those places where you feel broken, that can be the very place where Jesus can shine the brightest through your testimony and through your life if you'll let him. So in just a minute, I, I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray that for those of you that haven't experienced the first and most important miracle of Jesus in your life, the miracle of salvation, that today can be the day you experience that. But I also wanna pray for anyone here that needs, you need a miracle. You're, you're praying for that wayward child. You're praying for that health diagnosis. You're, the weight of it is just crushing to you and you need the Prince of Peace to step in your life and bring you Peace. And so here's what we're going to do. I want us to, to stand up all, at all of our campuses. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for us. And right after I pray, there's going to be one more song. And during this song, I encourage you to not, not to rush out, to take these few minutes with the Lord as we prepare to wrap up. 
And if you need prayer at all of our campuses, we're gonna have a prayer team down front that would love to pray with you, that would love to just stand in agreement about whatever your struggle is today. Maybe this is the very moment that that God brought you to church for today so that you could have this moment of of prayer with, with another believer joining you in agreement saying, Lord, meet this need. We would be honored to do that for you. And if if you don't need that kind of prayer today, then right where you are, in this moment of worship, either standing or maybe sitting back down in your seat, having a moment with the Lord, take this time and connect with your Savior. Take this time and just recommit your life to Him, your strengths, your weaknesses, everything in between. Thank Him for the, the miracles He's already done in your life. Thank you for His goodness of inviting you into His family. And commit to whatever it is that He wants you to do with this next season of your life, because I promise you, he has got great plans for you, greater plans than you could ever have for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're still doing miracles. Thank you, God, that you care so deeply about every detail of our lives. God, I pray for every person here. I pray for every person in Grovetown, every person at South Campus, every person at our Dream Center or watching online who needs a supernatural touch from you today, Lord, that you would meet them right where they are. Give us your peace while we're waiting for that prayer to be answered. Remind us that you're with us and you're for us. And let us know you'll never leave us or forsake us. And for those who haven't yet made the most important decision of their lives, the decision to follow you, to trust you as their savior, let today be the day that they receive that free gift that you offer, the gift that you died on the cross to give us, the gift that you rose from the dead to make possible. Let today be the day that they pray a simple prayer of faith and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. Adopt me into your family. Make me the person I was meant to be. I commit my life to you. I wanna follow you all my days. And Lord, for all of us, whether we prayed that prayer today or many years ago, God, we recommit today fully to all that you have for us. Thank you for your goodness. God, do miracles in and through us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.